0: Imagine That Studios and Koru Studios, in association with Harper Voyager Books, presents
1: Tales from the Archives, Volume 1,
0: the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. that? Lunch. That looks like a lovely chicken tiki masala. And is that lamp near? Yes, it is, Welly. Whatever possessed you to take your lunch down in the archives? Did you
1: see the size of this case file? It's enormous! And as it is set in India, I was inspired.
0: Were you now? Oh, yes. Picker, shall we? Oh, oh no, 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 no! I, I I'm fine. I'm, I have a lovely snack in my desk, a sandwich. It will do me just.
1: Oh, for heaven's sake, Welly! Do you think I would eat this all on my own? I wouldn't fit into my bulletproof corset now, would I? Go on, tuck in with some nan, and we can tuck in on this last case together.
0: Thank you, Miss Braun. Hmm.
1: Our first lunch together.
0: I will remain discreet we wouldn't want people talking.
1: Of course we wouldn't. At least, all right now.
2: The Shadows of Calcutta by Phil Rossi Excuse me. The excited chatter of the train station swallowed the sweetly-accented alto, and a hot breeze carried away any lingering aftertone. A hand touched his forearm, and he turned and looked down to see a short, lithe Indian woman wearing a well-tailored dark suit. Her garb, out of place in the train station, caught him off guard as much as her beauty. She smiled up at him, dark lips parting to reveal rows of perfect teeth. Is this your first time in India? No, he replied. I've been here before. Have you? Yes, he said his smile soft and pleasant. Orissa, I love the classical dance. Satisfied, she nodded. Robert Smith, I am Sakshi Kapoor, attaché from the magistrate's office. The name Kapoor registered, and Agent Smith extended his hand, which she took for a single delicate shake. Sorry, Ms. Kapoor, it took me a moment. Didn't expect my contact to be greeting you using the authorized code? He shrugged. "'When your contact is male, it appears as cordial discourse. "'When your contact is a woman, it appears forward. "'Perhaps.' "'She seemed hardly affected by the suspension of manner or custom. "'The Ministry informed us you'd be arriving today.' "'Did they now?' he said with a smirk. "'It is fortuitous that you came in when you did,' she said. "'We've received word of a storm traveling inland.' Flood in the plains can lead to some real delays. Guess my luck is changing, he said, smirk not faltering. She gestured to an overcrowded platform, bodies shuffled past one another, a flow of humanity as sluggish and deep as the Ganges itself. Passengers boarded trains, more seemed to disembark, some embraced, always moving. Trains are new to Calcutta. We're not as steam-powered as the rest of the world, but catching up every day. The station can be overwhelming. In just a wee bit, Robert said with a laugh. Come, she said, there is much to discuss. Her movements possessed a dancer's subtle grace. She wove in and out of the sweaty throngs as if her path were choreographed. Like a drunken oaf, Robert struggled to keep up, nearly knocking an entire family to the concrete platform floor. The collision was met with four sets of blinking dark eyes, scurrying children, and a flurry of words from their parents in a colorful dialect that probably concealed curses against him and future generations of smiths. Robert watched apologetically as the adults tried to herd their flock. Sakshi grabbed him by the arm and pulled him free of the chaos. Smith thought the fresh air would be a relief, but on emerging from the station, the atmosphere outside the brick building was thick with moisture and a mixture of odors he could barely begin to identify. Immediately he longed for the pale ale this country was so known for and an empty bar in which to enjoy it. He considered the possibility there was no refrigeration for such a brew and felt sad beyond words. A two-level bus sat idle on the curb, steam rising from three short stacks at the vehicle's aft. The white cloud faded into the late-morning haze, and Robert wondered if the air could handle any more vapor before the city drowned in it. Steam power has not been kind to Calcutta, Smith said, and wiped the sweat from his brow. The humidity is nothing compared to what we'll feel in the next several days as the storm draws near, she said, and pulled him forward, pointing to the bus. Come on, our timing is good. Even before setting foot on the bus, Robert could see the vehicle was full, bench seats and aisles packed with men, women, children, and charmingly enough, livestock. There's no room for us, he said. There is plenty of room, she replied with a smile. Climbing the stairs, a group of travelers fell in step behind Robert and Sakshi, thus making escape from the bus impossible. Claustrophobia was a white-hot snake in Robert's bowels, The rising panic only intensified when the driver closed the door. Sardines have more breathing room, on a bad day. Robert would have taken a deep breath to calm himself if the body odor hadn't been so heavy. He closed his eyes and curled his fingers around a brass steady hook and prayed that the ride wasn't long. The bus hurtled down a rough byway. Calcutta invisible to him behind swaying heads and floating chicken feathers. Those unfortunate enough to be standing bounced off one another in forced intimacy as the bus careened onward. Smith was actually glad to be trapped upright, but it was shameful that he couldn't appreciate the proximity to Slender Sakshi. The noise inside the vehicle was nothing short of remarkable. The rumble of the steam engine, the nonstop conversations shouted over the mechanical din, and the irritated clucking of chickens, and the buying of a goat that was hidden somewhere amongst the passengers. The bus slowed, and then abruptly all motion ceased, the passengers rocking forward, a few of them, Robert included, crying out. When the bus at long last managed to shit Robert onto the road, it crossed his mind to kiss the dirt in front of the magistrate building. Sakshi gazed up at him with sympathetic eyes. ''I apologize. I'm sure that was a little much,'' she said, her voice like a song to his ears. ''But it was the quickest way to get down here. You see, the magistrate is very unhappy.'' ''Unhappy?'' he asked, pausing at the bottom step of the two-story brick and mortar building. ''Come.'' Sakshi beckoned him up the steps in a gentle but commanding voice. Smith obeyed. ''Inside the building, it was quiet and pleasantly cool.'' Large fans spun on the high ceiling in a foyer, decorated with dark wood-paneled walls on which hung heavy frames containing lithographs of British colonials. The men depicted looked both pompous and important, but Robert did not recognize them from any history he knew. She led him across the polished hardwood floor to a door on the opposite side flanked by two robust ficus trees. Rapping her knuckles on the door resulted in a muted voice inviting them inside. Are you ready? Anything I need to know about your magistrate other than that he is unhappy? He bites, she said, winked, and opened the door. Agent Smith, said a diminutive pale man from behind a desk that was so impractically large the man looked like a child. You have some explaining to do. His British accent was clipped and cold. "'It's good to meet you, Magistrate. Might I say you have quite an impressive desk,' Smith began. "'Cut the shit while it's still early, Smith.' The Magistrate snapped, and Robert prickled. "'Tell me just what sort of agents does your Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences employ? Your predecessor, Alex Tanner, accomplished nothing here other than blowing hot air up my ass about Promising leads before falling off the planet.' With all due respect, our missing— Do not pander to me, Smith, your man, he started, but Smith was ready to return the volley. We take the disappearance of our agents very seriously, Magistrate, he said in a controlled voice, allowing a touch of venom to seep in for good measure. Smith's already simmering temper was boiling. Part of the responsibility does fall on your head— The Ministry is, after all, part of Her Majesty's government, and such as a concern of hers. Do you follow me? The Magistrate sighed and then cleared his throat. You'll have to forgive my impatience. Agent Tanner left before he could explain why I have officials being brutally murdered and priceless artifacts disappearing from a royal museum. Now the task falls to you to figure this mess out. Not so. Smith said, my role here is to find our missing man and get him home. That took the magistrate aback. But we have requested your help due to the bizarre nature of these murders, the magistrate insisted. Someone has to help. I'm sure, but that's not why I'm here, Smith said. I'm here to find my agent, and if I find anything else that can help you, I'll let you know. Please don't get in my way. Good day, magistrate. Smith turned, leaving the somewhat flummoxed magistrate to consider his back, as, without fanfare, he exited the Indian's office. Sakshi hesitated, and he caught her giving the magistrate a look of surprise, perhaps apology. He didn't care. Smith had dealt with too many self-important officials to number. That was quite the display, Sakshi said, joining Smith on the front steps of the magistrate's office. I've never seen him with his tail between his legs. It suits him. Smith chuckled, reaching into his suit coat and furnished a slender cigarillo. He perched it to his lips and Sakshi raised the lighter to the smoke's end before he had a chance to find his own. The coil hissed with steam, quickly becoming red with heat. He took several puffs, acrid smoke filling his mouth before he exhaled it in a sidelong plume. Smith raised an eyebrow at Sakshi, who closed the lighter with a wry smile. India may be challenged by steam technology. I, on the other hand, am not. If the magistrate can't maintain the peace, he's out of a job, no? It would be a great loss, I'm sure. For him, Sakshi said with a melodic laugh. Are you hungry? I am, he said. Good, me too. We can talk details over some fine local cuisine. Robert and Sakshi sat across from one another in a sidewalk cafe. He watched her dab the corners of her dark lips with a red cloth napkin, and before he realized he was staring, she gave him an appraising look that made his cheeks grow hot. He averted his eyes and pretended to admire the ambience instead. The cafe sat on a quiet street corner, adjacent from a verdant garden that was a dark grotto of ancient trees, curling vines, and vibrant blossoms of a flower that he didn't recognize. Over Soxy's shoulder, he admired a small but regal mosque, ornate minarets stabbing skyward. Only one other couple shared the café, a man and a woman, fair of skin, but they were on the opposite end of the patio, and Smith doubted they carried any listening devices, so spoke candidly. "'Not that I should be concerned,' he said, but tell me, what's the body count? Cutting right to it then, Sokshi said, raising a single thin brow. I entertained your small talk through the first course. Entertained, I see, she said, and here I thought you were a good listener. She rested her hands on the table and smiled at him. Four so far, but that does not account for the several gone missing over the past month, including your agent Tanner, The deaths began right around the time an unremarkable statue was donated and subsequently stolen from our humble museum. What was the piece? A rather common statue of the god Shiva. Nothing particularly outstanding about this artifact apart from its age. How old is it? Sakshi's eyebrows wiggled. It is believed to predate the Egyptian pyramids. Robert nearly choked on his Assam. That is considered common? She nodded. When you consider how far back our history and our preserved treasures reach, yes. Sakshi shook her head. How European, your reaction. Robert bristled a bit, but caught in her eyes a hint of whimsy. I was told in my briefing, which was not extensive, that there was a definitive pattern to the slayings, with ties to local mysticism. Yes, considering the statue depicted an agori deity and condition of those bodies we recovered fall suit with the religious practices. She took a sip from a sweating glass of water. It is a logical deduction. Now, do you know much about the agori, Agent Smith? Very little, I'm surprised they didn't send someone with more expertise, she said, and then her dark eyes went wide. I apologize, what I meant was... He laughed. It's fine, I was actually on other business in Nepal, he said, but the Agori, According to everyone, including the God-fearing Hindu people themselves, Sakshi said, and glanced at the patron sitting at the far end of the restaurant. Their practices are extreme, taboo, sex, alcohol, necro-cannibalism. Necro-cannibalism? That's not what it sounds like, is it? It is. The cooking and eating of corpses stolen from cremation grounds or pulled from the river. Smith set his fork down, the appetite having gone out of him. The leader of the Agori movement in Calcutta is a man named Pravil. But he denies any such depravity from his temple, she said. But no one knows where his temple is. That and his eyes are not that of a saint man. So what's the connection? If they get their offerings from sacred grounds or the Ganges, what does murder have to do with them? The discovered bodies have been prepared in the typical Magori fashion. Sakshi said as she carved a piece of goat meat soaked in a rich brown sauce off the bone, plucked it off the plate with her fork, and placed it in her mouth. Between index and forefinger, she raised the round bone segment to her lips and sucked out the marrow. Smith couldn't watch her eat, so instead focused on his hands. Any leads where they could be practicing? The magistrate's office had a run-in with members of this group very recently. Two men were apprehended traveling up the east bank of the Ganges with a body stolen from a local morgue. Interesting. Also of interest is that one of the men matches a description provided by a witness at the museum the night the statue was stolen. Coincidence? Doubtful, Smith said, and glanced at the people at the far end of the restaurant, just in time to catch them glance away. Maybe we've said enough here. Do you still have these grave robbers in custody? Yes, Sakshi said, but only one. He is slightly lunatic and will not answer any of our questions. He'll help us, Smith said. You'll have to explain the confidence in your voice, Agent Smith. Let him go, Robert said, matter-of-factly. And follow him, she said and smiled. Of course, but when I suggested the same plan to our magistrate, he scoffed and told me to starve the detainee instead. Agent Smith shrugged and offered a chuckle. That skinny, pale prick of a magistrate might have done us a favor. His hunger will make him careless, and all the better for us. Smith waited on the opposite side of the dusty road from the magistrate's building. The color was fading from the sky, and in the distance came a rumble of thunder, The air was charged and restless, and Smith glanced at his watch, hoping he could avoid getting caught in the inevitable downpour, wondering if it was the start of this anticipated storm. Here's to hoping for a brief goose chase. A tug on his pant leg had Smith looking down into the upturned face of a grizzled beggar in filthy rags. A thick black and gray beard and all the grime in Calcutta obscured the vagrant's face. One cataract eye blinked up at Smith, and the other was missing entirely, leaving behind a sunken and scarred socket. The beggar smiled up at Smith, revealing a dark pit of filth where only a few rotting teeth jutted like gravestones. The beggar tugged on Smith's pant leg a second time, and then held out a dirty hand. "'Sorry,' Smith said. "'I already donated at the office.' "'I will give you a fortune.' The man said. I'm sorry. I'm not the one in need of financial. I'm seer. I can see into the divine light. And not much else. No thank you. Smith pressed. Gently, but insistent. I don't have time. Maybe tomorrow. You still have six minutes before he comes out. Smith raised both brows and then fished for his wallet. He handed the man two folded bills and the beggar took them slowly, running them under his nose before scrunching his face. This money has seen some bad places. So have I, Smith retorted. It has seen death, the beggar said. And that's what I see for you? Occupational hazard, Smith stated, looked at his watch, and then to the still closed doors across the street. You will see much more death if you follow this path. One minute, until the rest of your life. Smith kept his eyes trained on the building. The city will drown. Pravel is a fool to tempt the might of a god. Smith snapped his eyes downward. What about Pravel? The beggar was gone. Across the street, the door of the magistrate's office opened, and a wobbling man in rags appeared, blinking into the lingering dawn. The man could have been an upright twin of the beggar. Glancing first to the left and then to the right, the accused corp thief hurried down the stairs and up the street. Agent Smith tugged on the lapels of his coat and followed. He's got to be some kind of athlete, Smith determined, as he struggled to keep up with the man. Thunderheads were closer now, billowing white pillars rising toward an approaching night. The grave robber led Smith into a darker Calcutta, a mismatch of leaning buildings and shanties rising around them, its alleys and streets lined with the poor, whose eyes were on the white man sweating through his suit. Smith felt like a fool. Standing out amongst the population like he did was almost laughable. Despite effort and energy being expended, the distance between Smith and his target grew as people called out to him, asking for his money. his shoes. Anything. He watched, cursing to no one in particular, as the grave robber disappeared into the crowd and growing shadows of dusk. His hesitation was the beggar's opportunity to fill their dirty hands. They closed on him, their heat and body odor enough to make his head spin. He tried to push his way out of the sudden crowd, but the reaching hands came from all sides. There was no escape. His clothing was grabbed and pulled, his pockets torn in desperate yanks. Once again, he felt the panic. The goddamn claustrophobia that haunted him consumed him. There were so many hands, so much death around him, he couldn't even reach for his gun. There was a crack of thunder, and a sharp pain exploded in his side. For a moment, he wondered if he'd been lanced by a bolt of lightning. Looking down, he saw blood soaking into his white shirt, and running down the leg of his pants. The sky opened up just as his knees buckled. The beggars covered him with their bony bodies and their stench as he fell. Thought was replaced by the buzz of terror. Thunder exploded like gunfire, and then the thick darkness of unconsciousness enveloped him. The pain in his side is what finally woke him, and it had been joined by a dull agony that throbbed from the inside of his head in a way that had him wishing he was dead. It was cold wherever he was, and he immediately started shivering. I'm in a morgue. Please don't let them steal my body. You're awake, said a familiar voice, and he opened his eyes to see Sakshi seated close by. Her wide, dark eyes reflected the light of a single candle. Muffled voices rambled all around him, and Robert tried to sit up, tried to focus. She placed a hand on his chest, felt ice cold against his flesh, and he fell back, the shivering intensifying. You have a fever, a very high fever. She smiled, and her teeth grew into needles. You are ill. You were stabbed with something dirty. Water. Water. He was so thirsty he could barely speak. She brought a cup to his lips, and he was only able to drink a sip before blackness blotted out Sakshi's jagged smile, unconsciousness arriving in a steady, devouring procession. Floating in the darkness before his eyes was a tiny statue, the god Shiva. His tongue was forked and extended from a small, almost pretty mouth. In his right hand, he held a severed head. Suddenly, a bearded face filled his field of view, grinning with a mouth full of crooked teeth. The smile glistened with an insanity that reached eyes black as coal. A calloused hand ran over Robert's forehead. Your time is soon. Agent Smith, came a voice that he wanted to ignore, for fear it would shepherd him into another terrifying fever dream. He didn't want to open his eyes. Sharp teeth and strange faces would surely drive him to insanity, or worse. Agent Smith, can you hear me? The voice said, a voice that he somehow recognized. Finally, succumbing to curiosity, he opened his eyes to see a tan Englishman with light hair and thin lips sitting beside his bed on a chair. Beside the man, a howling wind slapped rain against a darkened window. Alex Tanner? Yes, his fellow agent replied. Where am I? You are in my home, came Sakshi's voice, and she stepped out of the shadows. Instinctively, Smith flinched away from her. What is it? You were there, he whispered, mind tearing at the wall between dreaming and waking, desperately seeking reality. Where? She asked. In the temple, Robert said. No, Robert, she frowned, sitting beside him on the bed, gently taking his hand. Agent Tanner found you in the slums, bleeding to death in the gutter. I thought you were lost for good, just like the rest... He brought you back here. Your fever was horrifyingly high, Tanner said. You have been hallucinating for days. After you were stabbed, the Agori were coming for you to take you back to their temple. I only knew this because I was with them under deep cover. Cover that may now be compromised. We need to let him rest, Agent Tanner, Sokshi said. What do they want? Why do they want to bring me there? He asked. Simple. You were here to interfere with part of the greater threat to their way of life, the British Empire. They wish to purge Britain from Calcutta for good. Tanner flicked his eyes to Sakshi. And those of us loyal to Britain. The streets will run red if they have their way. And this statue I keep hearing about. A relic, a symbol to strengthen their cause. Robert looked to Sakshi. Her dark eyes watched him closely. You need rest, Tanner said. I will need you for what is next, and we must strike soon. Your arrival here has got them nervous and itching to act. Tanner left the bedside and went to the door, opening it just a crack before turning back to face Smith. Do sleep, please. He opened the door the rest of the way, slipped out into the darkened corridor beyond, and closed it in his wake. I do not trust him, Sakshi said. Why not? He won't betray us. I can feel it in my bones, Robert. Trust me. Watch him carefully. Robert should trust his fellow agent, not a woman he had only just met. He closed his eyes, and all he could see were fangs and fever eyes. She placed her hand atop Robert's, leaned forward, and brushed her dark lips over his. Her skin was smooth, her hair like black silk. Just as he'd expected it would be. Socksy broke the embrace, placing her hand on his chest. Now, you need to get some rest. Tanner was right about that much. She kissed him again, a soft, quick gesture, before standing and moving away from his bedside. Sleep, Robert. Robert did sleep and was grateful for no dreams. Rain and wind still attacked the window when he awoke the next morning. Feeling much stronger than the day before, he sat up. The pain in his side had lessened, though when he twisted to examine the wound, the tight flesh exploded with fire. He took his time standing, but was relieved when he could support his own weight. He found Agent Tanner in Sokshi's small kitchen, drinking coffee, There was a folder spread open in front of him, but his eyes were blank. Robert was only feet away when Tanner's eyes snapped up. His comrade blinked and rubbed them. I need to get out of Calcutta, and there is something about this place, Alex admitted, shaking his head. He took one of the articles from the folder and handed it to Robert. It was a photograph of a small statue, Shiva, holding a severed head. Smith had seen this somewhere before. He rubbed his temple trying to remember, but was distracted when Tanner spoke. An unremarkable religious statue, yes? Tanner said. I'll take the bait. What is it really? A holy artifact, possessing the means of summoning Shiva, or so Prabhupada would believe, Tanner said and laughed. A member of the British consulate here in Calcutta actually brokered the sale of this statue to the local museum. Apparently, it was found in the Bengal jungle, its history mysterious to say the least. The scientist who found it lost his mind shortly after discovering it. I could see losing my mind out here, snorted Robert. Well, the broker who sold the statue to the museum was the first murder victim, And lucky for me, uncovering something far bigger. Tanner laughed bitterly before sipping his coffee. Bigger? Smith inquired. Would you believe Proval thinks he is summoning a great storm whose energy he will use to open a portal between worlds for his god? Sounds like lunacy, Smith said. You would think, right? And yes, the Shiva bit, that sounds like pure and utter farce. But the storm piece... Take a look at this. He produced a folded, yellowed piece of paper and laid it out on the table between them, unfolding it slowly until a schematic was revealed. It showed a machine that looked like an enormous clockwork pair, with a thick and tall smokestack jutting from the top and three segmented tubes extending from its belly. Cute, Smith said, but I have no idea what I'm looking at. This is a prototype. A steam-powered engine that takes water from a supply tank, vaporizes it at a constant rate, and then ejects this dense steam into the atmosphere. Our Clankerton sent it here to India for field tests. And guess what was recently lost? And you think... The storm growled outside, joining their conversation, as if to affirm Tanner's suspicions. Too many coincidence, agent. If Praval has enough of these devices... He could potentially give that storm the bump that could push it into something more catastrophic. Smith's brow furrowed. A cyclone. That's right. You were never sent here about the murders. But this device? That's the irony, Smith, Tanner scoffed. I was actually sent here for the statue. Problem might not be far off about it. The Ministry sent me to acquire the piece due to the possibility of anomalous interactions with mankind. They didn't know about the stolen engines, or the murders around the statue. They only knew about the archaeologist's madness. That was their attention grabber. Smith sat back from the table, his head beginning to hurt again. He'd have to lay down soon. He should have been relieved to be sitting there, talking to Tanner, It meant he had done his job. He found the wayward agent, so conceivably he could hop on the next train back to London and forget about the statue and the engines. Only... Have you reported back to the Ministry? Smith asked. I haven't. I believe we are... Tanner glanced to the door, continuing after a moment's silence. Compromised? Smith looked over his shoulder and then back to Tanner. What? Sakshi? "'You're mad, Tanner. The heat's done you in,' Smith grumbled, eyebrows nearly leaping from his forehead. "'Certainly you don't think that. We are strangers in a strange land here, Robert. No one is to be trusted.' "'He had at last heard more than his weakened mind and body could handle. "'I need to lay down, Tanner. Head. "'We need to act fast,' Tanner said. "'You think Bravo really has these devices? You think they'll work?' We can't take that chance, can we? Tanner said. And the statue? Robert asked. It is safe, Tanner whispered. And Sakshi? Tanner shook his head and shrugged. Don't be smitten, agent. Robert pushed back from the table, stood, and walked a short distance across the room toward his bed. Distantly, he recalled a rule from his ministry mentor that told him, If you ever find yourself in the field, not certain who is friend or foe, look at the bloke in the mirror. He will always be the one you can trust. Presently, he was thankful there were no mirrors in sight. It was dark out when Robert opened his eyes. Sakshi was sitting above him with her hand on his arm her forehead stitched together by taut lines of concern. Outside, the storm battered the small row house. "'I didn't think you were going to wake up,' she said and helped him into a sitting position. When she spoke next, her tones were hushed, but that did not mask the urgency in her words. "'Robert, we have to leave. Now. We're not safe here.' "'What are you talking about?' he asked. "'Tanner.' He went back to the temple.' What? I don't under, he started, but she cut him off before he could finish. He's a traitor, Robert. There's no time to explain beyond that. Robert got dressed, Saxi's frightened eyes persuading him enough that he found himself following her out the back door and into the storm-swept Calcutta night. The rain came down in wind-blown sheets and the world smelled of wet stonework and mud. They hadn't made it far when a voice called out behind them. Wait right there! Robert turned to see Tanner and three uniformed men of the magistrate's office coming around the street corner. Go, Robert! She pushed him into motion, her wet hands slipping from his as her slender legs quickly put distance between them. He ran after her, despite the fiery protests in his side. The rain stung Robert's face and thunder rolled across the night. He called out for her to stop. But with the thunder and rain, she could not hear him, and soon he lost her altogether. He could hear Tanner and his men shouting for him to stop, but the truth of the matter was he couldn't keep moving. Robert, you fool. He chided himself in the mouth of an alley where he caught a breath. Running from a fellow agent? Now what? The constables ran past his hiding place, but Robert did not see Tanner with them. He waited for another minute and then pushed off the wall to seek out Sakshi. Hopefully he could find her before Tanner and his men did. Robert! He spun around too fast and Vertigo clutched his skull, bringing him to his knees. Why did you run? Tanner asked him. Aye. You didn't honestly listen to her, did you? Tanner asked. What is your proof, man? He insisted. How do you know she is involved with Proval? In the cult, there were stories of a woman in the temple. Who seldom showed her face only to Pravel and to those to be sacrificed. When you said you had seen her, fever hallucinations, Tanner, Robert began. I was never at the temple. A roll of thunder shook the night, and beside Robert's head, a window shattered. Tanner stared at him, wide eyed, and several seconds later, a blood flower blossomed across his breast. Smith's fellow agent fell forward onto the wet alley floor. Behind him stood Sakshi, clutching a cruel-looking revolver and two trembling hands. "'He was going to kill you,' Sakshi stammered. But Robert knew she was wrong. He had known enough would-be killers, looked them in the eyes, and knew when a threat presented itself. Looking at Sakshi in the rain, clutching the revolver, he got that old, familiar chill." Maybe you should put the gun down. We'll go to the magistrate's office and sort this out. We can't. They are all in this together, she said, looking around her wildly, her hair now stuck to her skin in heavy, thick clumps. You need to tell me where he hid the statue, Robert. I don't know what you're talking about. She pulled the hammer back on the pistol, raised it, and then took several steps toward him. The muzzle of the gun was only inches away from his face now. Big raindrops splashed off the dark metal of the barrel, and now Robert was certain. Tanner had been telling the truth. I do not have time for this, she said, not after all the waiting. She called out something in her native tongue, and an instant later men emerged from the shadows. Some dressed in rags, others in plain street clothes. The thugs approached him, and even in the dim light he could see the raw madness in their eyes. We will find it, she said. Robert wasn't sure if it was possible, but the rain seemed to come down even harder now, pummeling the earth outside his cramped cell. Water invaded the room, pooling around Robert's feet. His legs were weary, but he refused to sit in the wetness. If he stood on his toes, the barred window near the ceiling afforded a view of the river, swollen and angry-looking. Bulbous machines, not unlike those Tanner had shown him in the schematic, sat on the bank, tethered to balloons. One by one, the ever-increasing wind yanked them into the storm. There was a clank behind him, and the solid cell door ground open. A man in linen robes, dyed crimson, stood on the other side of the threshold, his hands at his sides and a small grin on lips that were obscured by a wild, black and gray beard. Smith recognized the crazed eyes immediately. Pravel. It is time, he said. She has chosen you. You were never their leader, Robert accused. A facilitator. Proble said, "Now come, she grows impatient. Robert descended the stairs, darkness pressing down on him from all sides, trailing his hands along the wet walls. He prayed that he didn't lose his footing. A broken neck lay in wait for him in the shadows below. I might die before all this is through, but I don't want to go like that. The darkness receded with each step he took, and it wasn't long before he could make out daylight below him, wet and warm. The sound of rain falling on the stone reached his ears. Don't be afraid, Robert, a voice called from below. No, no, it couldn't be. The stairs ended at a stone arch, beyond which lay a courtyard of bare granite slabs, Beyond the courtyard was an alcove illuminated by two guttering torches. Despite the rain, the twin flames refused to go out. Flanked by the torches sat a large statue of Shiva, the god appearing like all previous likenesses he had seen. Only this rendering had a large, vacant hole for a belly. Fate brought you to me, Robert, a voice said, and a single breath later, Sakshi stepped out of the shadows, nude, save for a sheer piece of fabric that clung wet to her dark curves. When you spoke of your visions, and I heard you describe Shiva to Tanner and myself, I knew you are the last piece of the puzzle. Really? Smith gave a dry chuckle. I thought I was just another bloke working for the Queen, Country, and Empire. Remember that oath you took? I took it too. Do you know what I truly am? I know you're as delusional as the rest of- I. I'm a goddess, she said. Once I'm released from this prison, I shall return, as is my destiny. But I am something even more. Then what are you? Something older. Sakshi, listen to me carefully, Robert said. You are going to let me take you into custody. I'll tell the authorities to go easy on you. Oh, Robert, there is no one to take me into custody. The city is in chaos above us. The cyclone is tearing Calcutta apart, it might as well just be you and I here, the last living beings in this wretched place. The wind screamed above the open mouth of the cell, and Robert lifted his eyes to an evil square of sky. Beneath the wind there was a constant rumble, like that of a freight train riding on a bed of thunder. The cyclone had spawned a tornado, he was sure. Why leave it at one, how about a dozen? Why are you smiling? Sokshi asked. Inside joke. Take this, Sokshi said, and shoved a small statue into his hand. She closed his fist around it, and he didn't fight her. Where did you find this? She gestured with her head to the corner of the room. And for the first time since he stepped through the arch, Robert saw Agent Tanner. His body lay limp, split from groin to chin on a pile of rocks, Shiny guts spilled into Tanner's lap through the ragged wound, his entrails rendered pink and bloodless by the heavy rain. The fool had it with him all along, and with his dying breath he thought to keep it from me by swallowing it. I thought either the bullet wound would kill him or he would choke first. But then I had to get creative. Your fellow agent had quite the constitution. Good God... Place the statue in the belly of the Shiva statue, she commanded. And then what? And then maybe, she cooed, I'll let you live. Robert looked toward the alcove, taking in the massive statue. One detail was missing. The larger statue before him held no severed head. Ah, no, he thought. She doesn't get my head, not today. He took a slow step toward the statue, stalling, trying to determine some course of action. The freight train above them crescendoed, and Sakshi looked away from him, toward the raging heavens with rapture and want. Robert pivoted, his arm winding up, and as hard as he could muster, he hurled the small statue at her. Her face snapped in his direction just before the statue connected between her eyes. Sakshi's nose exploded in a mist of blood but Robert had not truly appreciated how well the statue had been crafted or how much strength he still possessed. While the statue held a disembodied head in one hand, the spear held in the other drove into her skull. Sakshi emitted a choked, gurgling cry, delicate arms flailing out as she fell backward, her head making an audible crack when it hit the granite. She tumbled into the steadily growing underground reservoirs surrounding them, the murky floodwaters of the Ganges River seeming to devour her. She may have still been alive, but Robert didn't pause to figure it out. He ran down and yanked the small statue free of her forehead and started to climb the vines on the opposite wall, hoping there would be sufficiently solid handholds all the way to the top. The storm now roared like an angry beast, and the gurgle from behind Robert gave him pause. He glanced over his shoulder, Sakshi was now just a drift of hair and silk, slipping deeper and deeper into the watery void. The archives stretched into shadows in all directions. Massive shelves of mysteries climbing high into the darkness. Robert found the quiet to be unsettling. He was grateful when the archivist hammered the nails into the crate, shattering the heavy silence. Finished, the archivist stood, mopped sweat off his brow using a sleeve of his coveralls, and then turned his attention on Robert. That's it. I'll see it's added it to the index. And then what? It won't ever see the light of day again. Eh, probably for the best, Robert said almost always is, the archivist replied, wheeling the cart into the shadows. Need me to show you out? Robert took his lamp from the nearby shelf and shook his head. I know the way. Minutes later, he stepped out into the fiery light of a London sunset, surrounding buildings painted blood red by the glow. Above him, thin bands of cloud reached across the sky like slender fingers. He tried not to think of Sakshi in that moment. He tried. and failed.
0: Phil Rossi, writer, musician, and embracer of new media, has a passion for storytelling matched only by the pleasure
1: he derives from keeping his fans awake at night. Crescent. Rossi's debut novel was originally released as a podcast in 2007 and has since led listeners into dark, twisted nightmares under the titles such as Eden, Harvey, and Notes from the Vault.
0: When he's not podcasting or writing, Phil is a professional singer and songwriter. His unique brand of alternative country and rock and roll is still alive and well in the music stylings of Ditched by Kate, their debut album Stumble, now available on iTunes.
1: Phil lives outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia with his wife, daughters and menagerie of rescued animals. He believes the need for sleep is a myth. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com.
0: This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share alike 3.0 license. For more information,
1: visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production.
0: I'm Tim Morris.
1: And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you for listening.